Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to episode four of the Linkage Podcast by Episcopal Retirement Services. This episode is for the week of May 11th, 2020. Thanks so much for joining us. Uh, My name is Brian Reynolds, Vice President of Marketing uh, of Episcopal Retirement Services. And I'm here with Kristen Davenport, Director of Communications for ERS and our executive producer. How are you, Kristen? I'm doing great today, Brian. It's good to be with you. Good. How was your Mother's Day? Did you have a good one? Yeah, I did. Thanks for asking. Uh, Some really nice family time, some uh, uh, connecting with our relatives through a Zoom call and got to help out and volunteer a little bit. So it was a great day overall. Great, great. Well, uh, the Linkage Podcast is created and dedicated to educating our audience about issues regarding aging, informing people about the mission of ERS, and how our mission comes to life in our everyday interactions with our residents, clients, and even staff members. So we've got a great show today. Kristen, you want to tell us about what we've got coming up? Yeah, Brian, today joining us on this episode, we've got Judith Cohn. She's a resident of Dudley Square in Louisville, Kentucky at our Episcopal Church Home Community. Michael Port. Michael's a resident at Dupree House in Hyde Park in Cincinnati. And then we'll, of course, be checking in with President and CEO, Laura Lamb. Well, wonderful. I'm really excited. So why don't we get our uh, show kicked off? You want to introduce our first guest today? Yes, thank you, Brian. Our first guest with us today is Professor Emeritus of Communications from University of Cincinnati, Michael Port. Michael joined the community at Dupree House in 2019, and we welcome him to the show. Not only has Michael been a lifelong teacher um, in his professional career, but um, as a retired person, Michael continues to teach, especially uh, Tai Chi, which he's done for a number of years. Uh, So welcome, Michael. Hello. (laughs) Michael, tell us how you're doing today. Well, I'm doing fine. Uh, I'm enjoying the nice sunshine. And uh, just had a very nice lunch. I um, always enjoy the food here at the Dupree House. And I think uh, it's wonderful that uh, we have such a great staff of 88 persons who work so hard to keep us uh, healthy and enjoyment. Uh, We have a remarkable staff here, and I'm so happy that we've started a fund to uh, keep them in good shape and to take care of their families during this period of stress. I thank you for that shout out to our staff. I'm sure they're going to appreciate that. And uh, I do appreciate your support of the emergency fund. We we are uh, so uh, thankful for the support that we're getting because it, it allows us to make these times that are challenging a little easier for our staff members. And uh, they're definitely heroes continuing to come to work every day and continue to serve to serve our residents. So thank you for that. I appreciate it. Well, I'm glad you're doing well today. Tell me a little bit and tell the listeners a little bit, what types of things are you doing to stay healthy and engaged during this uh, COVID-19 challenge to us? Well, when the swimming pool was open, I would swim a half mile every morning at 8 o'clock. And, you know, since this is a private pool, 
I'm hoping that we can open it again because so many people here enjoy swimming. Oh, yes. And the same is true with the exercise room. Uh, I miss my sessions in the exercise room, but I'm uh, still working out in my room and going for walks in our uh, beautiful campus here. Oh, good. That is great to hear. Well, I know that you uh, have been a teacher of Tai Chi and have practiced Tai Chi for a long time. Please, please tell us a little bit more about that. Well, one thing that Tai Chi does is it increases our mindfulness. It makes us very much live in the present and value uh, everything that we have in the present and and be grateful for what we have. Uh, Something that my wife and I learned when we were teaching in China uh, back in the 80s, we were practicing it ever since. And when my wife was quite ill and couldn't do Tai Chi standing, I would always do the seated Tai Chi with her. And of course, um, uh, since she died, Uh, On June 25th this year, I miss her very, very much. And uh, we had a celebration for her at the original Dupree House. The original Dupree House is in Clifton. It's now called the Clifton Bed and Breakfast. It was bought uh, as a bed and breakfast in 1982 when Dupree 1 opened. And we had a celebration for Barbara there at the original Dupree House. And friends of ours, Marshall and Enid Ginsburg, came in from uh, Wisconsin. They were living here at the Dupree House in the very room in which I'm living now. Oh, wow. And, And among the different people who came to the celebration, some friends of mine gave me a green throw. And when I moved in here, I was thinking about the celebration and about the green throw, and uh, eventually I wrote a poem about it. Would you like to hear it? Yes, please share that. I'd love to hear it. The green throw, a gift for grief, not a handkerchief, a cloth with pictures of two garden chairs, knowing only one can be used now. At first it draped a black sofa. Lately I washed it, losing black lint. Now it clings to my bed with Mark's quote in my head. Come with me to a quiet place. Thank you for sharing that. That was beautiful. You are a very talented writer. And then that quote comes from Mark um, 6.91. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Beautiful. Well, thank you for sharing that. And thank you for sharing a bit of Dupree House history that that most people probably don't know. Um, That was even some of that was news even to me. So thank you for sharing that. I was very intrigued to hear that. Dupree uh, House goes back a long ways, and they originally had six people staying there at the bed and breakfast when they uh, sold it to the woman who's running it now, whose name is Nancy. 
and Nancy told us all about uh, the history of the place. And of course, we were fascinated by that, um, particularly since Marshall and Enid and their children came in from Wisconsin for the celebration for Barbara, and they stayed at the Dupree House, uh, the Clifton House bed and breakfast while they were in town. That was some great connections. I just love hearing about that. So you you shared your poem with us. I think you mentioned earlier to me that you're part of a writing group at our Dupree House. Will you tell us a little more about that? Well, uh, there are several of us here who are interested in keeping up our, our writing. We were meeting at a regular basis several times a month and uh, reading what we have been writing. And uh, that's just one of the many activities that uh, go on here, usually, uh, that um, we're fortunate enough to be able to take part in. Um, And among the other things, of course, are the exercise classes, which are very well taught and very well attended. And... There are many bridge players here. They often uh, meet every week to play duplicate bridge. There are many activities going on all the time, and we, of course, miss all the socialization that we have uh, regularly. Uh, And during this period, it's rare that we get to uh, even meet with our friends because uh, we are trying to stay isolated. And I know that it's not an easy thing, but I I know that staying isolated is the safest way for us to stop the spread of this virus. I I was able to visit on Sunday and and help some families uh, see their mothers on Mother's Day. And and that was sort of like a, a little breath of what we hope will soon be a safer and, and better way to be more in contact. Um, it's, it's difficult when we're not in contact with each other, for sure. So you're involved with tai, teaching Tai Chi and the Writers Club. And what are some of the other ways that you're involved there? I think there's some other committees. Oh, well, I have been playing duplicate bridge here. And uh, I regularly uh, go swimming and uh, take the exercise classes. Been teaching Tai Chi uh, for 19 weeks. I taught Tai Chi at the cottages. And during the months of February and up until we were closed in March, I was teaching Tai Chi here in the event center. And I was also helping. with the film selections, the film showings uh, in the event center, and uh, meeting with the the wellness group to talk about different ways that we can help keep people healthy here. That is some good work that you're doing there. So you sound very engaged and very involved, which I think is wonderful. Um, Yes, I really um, did this consciously. This was a wonderful way of dealing with my grief, getting involved in many activities here, and thinking about other people and how I could help them. That's wonderful. Well, you certainly have. I know that the Tai Chi um, with our cottage residents was really popular and something everyone looked forward to. So we all hope that we'll be back to that very soon. 
Well, I certainly hope so. Well, Michael, it's been a pleasure to talk with you today and get to know you a little bit better and um, to hear about what you're doing to, to stay healthy right now. And uh, I would just like to ask you one more question. What's the one thing that you're really looking forward to the most once we uh, get back to what I guess I call our new normal? Well, I've also been enjoying uh, reading a great deal, and I want to continue reading even though I have a busy schedule. But the one thing that I'm looking forward to most would be teaching Tai Chi again here. Yes, I would say that's definitely uh, been your passion, and I'm glad that it's something that you want to continue on. I know everybody appreciates you sharing that that uh, gift that you have for teaching and um, not only teaching, but teaching others something that is really healthy for them. When I looked at the plaque by the library here, I was uh, quite pleased to see the name of a former student of mine. Uh, Thursa Sternberg donated the library originally here. And she was a, an evening student of mine at the university years ago. So it was just very pleasurable to see her name again right up there. Oh, wow. Another, and it's another just connection. an example of how uh, all of us uh, can help out in different ways. That's something that we should all seek out, I think, because the more you help others, the more it comes back to you. Well, that's some very good wisdom for us, Michael. I thank you for joining us today, and you stay well until we see each other again. Well, thank you, Kristen. It was a pleasure talking to you. Well, Kristen, that was a great interview with Michael. He's certainly a very interesting uh, guy. Uh, I really enjoyed his uh, poem that he shared. Yeah, Michael is finding a lot of ways to stay engaged and uh He's not only writing, but uh, he's still doing Tai Chi and looking forward to the time when he can hold classes again, especially for our residents at the cottages. Well, that's wonderful. I, I think it's so important to stay engaged and, and enjoy your passions. And uh, I, I really enjoyed hearing from him. So with that being said, uh, our next segment is our weekly segment with President and CEO of uh, Laura Lamb. So we'll go straight into that. So we're back and uh, we're on our weekly segment with Laura Lamb, President and CEO of Episcopal Retirement Services. How are you, Laura? Great, Brian. I'm doing well. How about you? Good. Did you have a happy Mother's Day? Oh, I did. I did. It was, it was more than I expected. Well, that's great. What kind of things did your family do? Well, you know, and a lot of people know that I lost my mom. It'll be two years this year. And so it's really... You know, Mother's Day is um, bittersweet in many ways, but, you know, as I said on the last podcast, I just really told myself that I could choose my attitude about Mother's Day, missing my mom, and then, you know, being in a pandemic, it wasn't necessarily going to be be the way that it might have been, um, but I have to say that my children uh, rose to the occasion. They are just, um, it's wow. so special, number one, to have them at home right now. Sure. I, and I realize that and I'm, I'm savoring every minute with both of them, but they, you're not going to believe this. So they saw how much fun I had making that music video. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess the apple doesn't fall far from the tree because <laughs> they created a movie for me. 
Aww. And it's just, I'm telling you, uh, best Mother's Day I could ever have hoped for. And what it really said is, boy, these two kids get me. They knew that that is exactly what, what I needed right now. So. Well, that's, that's fabulous. That's, yeah, uh, I, I think they must get that creative uh, uh, apple uh, from you. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, they, are, they, they are proving themselves as creative, um, creative young adults. So sure. that's really cool. Sure. Well, and, and we talked about Mother's Day and some of the things that coming up uh, at Marjorie uh, Peely and Dupree and, uh, and even at ECH, Episcopal Church Home in Louisville last week. And why don't you tell us a little bit, it, it really, I think, turned out into a special weekend, uh, you know, amongst just, you know, the challenges that we've seen. Yeah, it was. It was a great weekend. First of all, the weather forecasters were a little off and um, in a good way. So we yeah. had a little bit more... Um, better weather, weather than, than what was anticipated. So that was great. But I'm so proud of the teams at Dupree and Marjorie Lee and ECH. And they really wanted to make uh, Mother's Day special. And our, our retirement communities have the most strict guidelines. And we, you know, we're under the, the orders of the governors in both states in terms of visitors and what have you. So right. we still can't have visitors come in the building. And right you know, here we go, taking those lemons and making lemonade. And yep. I'm so proud. The team came up with, we offered, get this, 187 slots for wow. Mother's Day visits. 187 wow. slots. And that took a, a, a team effort. That was no small undertaking. Um, we had 43 staff members that took time off of their out of their holiday and volunteered their time in two hour chunks to pull that off. Yeah. And I have to say, as I looked at the list of people that volunteered, it was primarily mothers. And I just, I just think that is ironic and beautiful at the same time. I just, I just find that just so wonderful about our staff, just kind of giving of themselves um, even when technically it's their holiday too. Right. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I had a chance to be at Marjorie P. Lee for a little bit of time and just to see the the faces on the family members and, and the smiles. It, it was it was really special. I also got to see some of the pictures from Episcopal Church Home. And so it really did seem like a special day. It was. Thank you, Brian, for being, being a part of that. that. That meant a lot to a lot of the families. Well, I, I, I love being a part of it. So, and I think, uh, you know, not only did we have some special things for our residents and, and their families, but uh, I, there was some great activity to kind of honor the mothers within the, the ERS staff and, and families as well. Yeah. Yeah. Our, our, um, a big shout out to Joan Wetzel and the entire HR team. They're, they're doing a great job of making sure that we're, uh, focus not only on our residents, but also our staff. And, you know, we, we understand that, you know, it's because of our staff that we have great, great communities to offer to our residents. And so a couple of the creative things that they did is they worked with our very valued business partner, um, Robert Evans with Arrowwood to mm -hmm. make sure that we could offer a small potted plant to all of our mothers and that was just so um, well received. I mean, there's yeah. nothing like getting 
a little flower with a message on it that just just fills your heart. Flowers do something to the soul. I'm sure of it. Yeah. And I then saw, I saw the I saw those pictures and they were really nice arrangements. They they were, and it it's, it also shows you that something that you know in the scheme of things is you know a small gesture just means so yeah. much, so much that somebody would take the time to make make you feel special. So that was great. And then, then they had an awareness that I think this is just so clever on the HR team's part. You know, you think about it, um, and I'm looking, I'm in my home office looking at a few things that my kids have made me over the years. Mm-hmm. And, you know, where do they do that? They typically do it in school or in their Girl Scout troop, which, of course, we don't have those anymore. So right. the HR team made kits. Uh, for parents to take home to their kids to make something special for their moms. And I just, again, it's an example of really putting ourselves in our staff shoes and understanding, you know, how we can help and how we can serve families. So those pictures are just adorable to see our staff's children's faces, you know, so (laughs) proud of making their mom a little a little, you know, banner or something that says you're yep. the greatest mama ever. So. Yeah, I, I think that's so right. Those things are always so memorable and they last on our, uh, on our bookshelves and our dressers and things like that. I, exactly. I know I have a, a exactly. coffee cup that I have used for the last 10 years that I still treasure Aww. for my kids. So. Yeah. So, yeah. So it just goes to show you just because schools aren't in session, we can, we can figure this out together. That's so. right. That's right. Yeah. Well, I, I think there's also been some great stories, you know, uh, I guess beyond just Mother's Day going on in our communities. And, uh, you know, this is one of my favorite things to talk with you about and hear from you is some of the, the neat uh, success or, or great stories around the community. And I think recently there's been a, a great campaign involving toilet paper that uh, <laughs> I was hoping you'd tell us about. Oh my gosh. So the toilet paper challenge um, is what we're calling it. I love it. So we have a very generous donor um, that has a real heart for our residents in affordable living. And um, he he really wanted to help with an immediate need. And that was, you know, he understood from our communication that that our our residents in affordable living are being blessed by lots of donations of food. And so that really wasn't the new, the need, but candidly, the need was toilet paper. And we can all as humans relate to the need for toilet paper, right? Those those empty, empty shelves. Oh my gosh. And, and plus our affordable living hearts, you know, they, they, they try to get to the store and the one time that they get to the store or have their family go to the store, they're empty shelves. So this donor heard that and said, you know what, let's figure out how to solve that problem. So we got an enormous donation um, to um, give every resident in affordable living, and this is no small undertaking, Brian. We have 1,700 residents in affordable living. That's more than 10,000 rolls of toilet paper. (laughs) Oh, my God. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So each resident in affordable living uh, this week and next will be receiving their gift. Um, Angel soft toilet paper. We thought that was very appropriate. Absolutely. Um, And then in another full circle, 
um, story, we bought this toilet paper from Cisco, Cincinnati, who you've heard us yeah. talk about, who has been an amazing partner. Yeah. They're the company that has donated um, thousands of dollars worth of food to give to our staff and our residents. So it was just one of those full circle moments that makes your heart just um, swell with that happiness. Is- yeah, that is fabulous. Cisco has, to your point, just been an amazing partner over the last six to eight weeks. That's Absolutely. Absolutely. Good. And and then another story I found really good was just people kind of getting outside of the box and to help some of our residents. Uh, Marjorie P. Lee, you want to talk a little bit about uh, what our sure, staff is doing here? Sure. So I think what you're talking about is... Um, the, the other duties as a sign in all of our job descriptions, right? Exactly, yes. Um, and, you know, we, we always have that culture. You know, I've never uh, encountered staff that, you know, say, at least at ERS, that's not my job because they understand right. that we're here to serve. Yep. Um, and that means different things on different days. So pandemic um, creates interesting challenges. And one of the complaints that I hear most when I interact with my, with the residents um, in affordable living in our retirement communities is the restrictions on having beauty and barber services. Yep. Our campuses or yep. on our campuses. It's a real challenge. Um, you and I both talked about, um, you know, I, I've cut my hair three times during this pandemic. I think your wife has cut your hair <laughs> yes. once, at yep. least yep. I recall. Yeah, it is. It is a, you know, a a real challenge. So um, our resident assistants uh, who kind of have that ability or that talent to begin with um, don't stop at care and service of our residents. And there's some pictures that are just uh, adorable uh, showing kind of a makeshift kind of um, cut and trim little station. Um, so our resident assistants, of course, are allowed to be in close proximity with our residents. They have mm-hmm. the yep. personal protective equipment to be able to do that safely. Right. And um, they're able to provide that service to, to our residents. So again, wow. it's one of those examples of taking those hidden talents and, and bringing them to bear for our residents. Oh, that's, that's fabulous. Yeah, I'm, I'm already feeling like I need my second haircut of the quarantine. So um, I'm, uh, I, I, I wish I could get that service myself, but uh, yeah. maybe next time. Well, and, and kind of you know, along that, that vein, you know, we're in this period right now um, where you know, our, our government and our governors at, uh, you know, at the state level and national level are talking about opening up and you know, we're, we're hearing about services like barbers and and salons and and restaurants all opening up and and yet we're still seeing a lot of data about um you know infection rates particularly in in different areas going up and certainly as an industry um you know the senior living industry is is facing how to deal with this how are you looking at um and and discussing this with your teams about opening up Boy, Brian, that is the question of the day. Yeah. Um, I, I, it, it has really consumed um, a lot of my time and my attention as well as um, our administrators and our directors of nursing's time. And what, what, what I would like to say to everyone is that we have done such a good job up until this point. And 
that could be for naught if we don't continue to be uh, cautious mm-hmm. and measured yep. and really thoughtful about how to open. And what do I mean by that? Well, you know, we have been we've been fairly lucky as an organization, and I say lucky intentionally because right. I've said to you and others that yep. when we get a case, it's not going to be that we did anything wrong or we failed because we're right. doing everything we can. Right. But this is a this is a virus that you can't see it, and it's transmitted, uh, you know, through human to human exposure. Yep. So so with that, um, you know, we've had eight weeks of keeping it at bay, right. and we could we could ruin all of that if we just take a laissez-faire attitude in terms of opening up. So my commitment to our residents, my commitment to the staff is that we need to use the same principles that got us to this point Mm -hmm. to help us over the next eight to, you know, eight weeks to a year kind of thing. Right. Right. And I know that that's a difficult message to hear because, you know, we're all a little restless and we, you know, we, you know, your wife probably wants you to go back to the barber to get your hair cut. Right. I think, I think we, we're going to have to be slow and very deliberate or everything we've done is going to be for nothing. And I don't want that. And I know, um, the health and safety of our residents is dependent that we do not do that, do it that way. Yeah. Yeah. I think it, it, I think that's wise because they talk about that, that second wave potentially. And, you know, there's been obviously hot spots on the, 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 the coasts, but they talk about maybe more infections in the middle of the heartland of the country going forward. So I think we have to, to your point, um, be, be diligent about it. Uh, going forward. So I appreciate you, you you sharing that with us, Laura, and I appreciate you joining us again this week. And uh, I, I hope you have a great week uh, this week and we'll look forward to joining next week. Awesome. Thank you, Brian. Good to be with you. All right. You too, Laura. Brian, it's always good to check in with Laura and it was especially good for me to hear today how we're staying uh, nimble and in our job descriptions, we don't stay in one job description. Our staff is always ready to step up and help residents in any way that they need. Yeah, yeah. It was nice to hear that uh, they can do just simple things like a haircut to uh, help make our residents feel good. So uh, it, it's, as you mentioned, always great to catch up with Laura. Okay, next up on the episode today, we've got an interview with Judith Cohn. Judith is a resident at our Dudley Square Patio Homes in Louisville, Kentucky, part of the Episcopal Church Home community. Let's get right to the interview. So I'm here uh, today with Judith Kahn, uh, who is a resident at Dudley Square at the Episcopal Church Home in Louisville, Kentucky. Judith has been a resident at Dudley Square since uh, 2012, eight years ago. She just celebrated her eighth uh, anniversary at Dudley Square. She uh, is a part of our Feet to the Fire program, which is a partnership with uh, Angela Burton and her uh, writer's workshop and is involved in a lot of uh, the resident activities. Welcome, Judith. Thank you. I'm happy to be here and visit with you by phone. 
Yeah, we're so glad to, to, to have you. And I just mentioned to you before uh, the interview, I, I really miss uh, coming down to Episcopal Church home during this pandemic, but hopefully at some point we'll get to, to visit in person again. That would be nice. Right. We, and it will happen. Yeah, absolutely. So just to, to touch base and start, how, how are you doing during this pandemic? I'm doing well. I do stay busy and at my own home. Uh, I have pretty much stayed in place since March 4th, um, which is a good, only date in the calendar that actually tells us what to do, March 4th. Right. Which we're trying to do. And I self really and truly self-quarantined it on March. And then uh, the Episcopal Church Home quarantined us early on. So I just have been busy in my home and in my garden. And I wave to friends as they walk. I am a fair weather athlete, so I don't get out if it's cold or raining. You mentioned that you know you're a fairly social person and pretty active, so you've you've had a bit of an adjustment here. I have had a bit of an adjustment. I enjoy people. I am a, definitely a people person, and I do or did spend a lot of time over at the Episcopal Church home. And one of the things I didn't mention in our earlier conversation was we did have two of our the Dudley folks joined the Cincinnati board, mm-hmm. and I was asked to serve as the first representative from Episcopal Church Home. Mm-hmm. That enlarged my vision of how large and how wide the retirement communities are within Cincinnati and and in Episcopal Church Home here. Yeah, there are no wonderful people on that board. That yeah. I and I really miss them, and I do like the people and. I am also active with St. Luke's Episcopal Church here with our uh, priest, Lisa Tolliver. Yeah. And so what, what kind of things have you done to stay active and engaged and, and, you know, during this time uh, that we've had the social distance and, and kind of quarantine? Most of the things that I do are, are things that I do sitting, which is not necessarily good. But mentally, I do games. Mm-hmm. I do puzzles. I am an artist, so I do Ukrainian eggs, so sometimes I paint, but once I begin that process, it takes several days, Yeah. and I garden when the weather is pretty, and I do chores that I put off. I'm going through photographs uh-huh. of people I don't know, and um, even photographs of travels that my husband and I did that I know my children are not going to care about looking at the mountains around the various countries that we were in, and he loved mountains. So we made a lot of pictures of mountains. Oh, wow. <laughs> yes. One of the things you, you had mentioned for our interview, too, that really struck me was you're, you've been writing cards to people. Can you tell our audience a little bit about that and the thinking behind your cards? I enjoy writing letters anyway, but I didn't want to give up anything during Lent because we were giving up a lot already. Sure. Yeah. So my choice was to set aside some time each day to send a card to a person that has made a particular impact on my life, um, just to say thank you. And wow. um, that, I think, probably has been the best way that I have participated in Lenten celebrations, you say the celebrations. Yeah, that is such a wonderful exercise and something I'm really going to take to heart because I think 
you know, being able to show gratitude and have some positivity in a, a time where, you know, we could feel a little isolated at times, I think is a great, a great exercise. So I, I appreciate you sharing that. And, and just speaking of your writing, I, I'd be remiss in, in saying I know you've been very active, as I mentioned earlier, in the Feet to the Fires program, the Writers' Workshop, and you were actually, your article was highlighted on uh, the PBS website, Next Avenue, which is a, a website for those 55 and over. How did that come about? Well, I was reading Next Avenue's Angela Burton introduced me to it, and I was reading one day uh, an article that uh, one of the editors had written about her mother's little car that she had inherited, mm-hmm. which made me interested in writing about our little car. But it's the hardest thing I had to do since George died was to give up that car. I just had an emotional kind of attachment to his car. Sure, sure. It was my car because he thought it was his. <laughs> you know, writing is such a, a good thing for the soul and reflecting and working through our emotions. So I, I was really tickled when uh, I, I heard about your story being published. So. I was surprised. Um, I truly was. Angela sent a note and said, have you been on your computer? And she knows I'm not on it all the time. And I said, no. And she said, well, you need to go. Yeah. So I did. That's great. <laughs> it was a nice treat. Yeah. So one of the other things I've been asking some of our residents from both the Episcopal Church home and our other communities is obviously you've lived a full, rich life and really seen a lot of ups and downs in life and, and crisis, national crises or local crises. So I, I think what I like to, to draw upon is that, that knowledge that that folks gain and and I'm wondering what are you drawing from in past situations of, of crisis or the life experiences that you've drawn for that that really has helped you prepare for this current situation I did as a child grow up during the polio uh, epidemic uh-huh. I was uh, born in 1940 so I did not have any experience with the Second World War. My husband was a Navy chaplain for 30 years. He was activated three times and then did not have to go to Vietnam or Desert Storm. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we made arrangements for children to get to different schools and me to get different jobs. Um, my job after when we moved to Louisville the very first time in 1988, uh, I worked for the Presbyterian Church, mm-hmm. the refugee resettlement program in our national offices, and I worked with 50 offices throughout the United States to either reunite families or to, uh, right toward the beginning of that, to bring Amerasian children to the United States because the Vietnamese did not want them. Yeah. And I'm not really certain that the United States did either, but we but we took them. And right. the majority of them ended up out in California. And that was a crisis that I lived through uh, in a different way because it was good to be able to settle people who were in trouble. You mentioned something about polio as as a young child. What what was that like? Uh, I was basically quarantined. I was allowed to go outside and 
run around and play some. Mm-hmm. But most of the time, my parents wanted my brother and me to be in the house and quiet. Um, and my parents both worked, so it was just the two of us who would entertain ourselves um, mm-hmm. with games. Uh-huh. Sometimes, like siblings do, we didn't necessarily agree with everything. But we learned to do things together. We didn't have the TVs, and we didn't have um, we did have radio, but we weren't real interested in listening to the radio, except uh-huh. on Sundays when we could listen to things like The Shadow. And, and how long did that kind of impact you and your family? It lasted a lot of years. Wow! Back in night in the early '60s, we had the salt vaccine, mm-hmm. and when we started taking the salt vaccine, we lined up at our health department, and we were given our vaccine on a lump of sugar, a sugar cube, which Mm -hmm. we swallowed. Right. And that was in the early 60s because my oldest daughter remembers getting sugar cubes. My youngest. So she was born in 71, and Deborah was born in 64. Yeah. So it took that long for the vaccine for polio. We're talking about the crisis here. And they wanted to have a vaccine to give us yesterday. Right. The realization that you can't grow these things overnight. So I have one last question, Judith. Hoping we get a vaccine uh, at at some point soon. What are you looking forward most to when this crisis is over? I want to see my children. Yeah. And I want, I miss touch. I miss the human touch. Uh Uh-huh. I am a hugger. The air kisses can only go so far. You're right, right? I, so I miss the human touch. I, I can do the voices. I can see the faces on my Skype, on my phone. Yep. But there's nothing like a hug. Right. A pat on the back. Yeah, the human touch. I, I, I understand I'm a hugger too, Judith, so... Hopefully, uh, at, at some point soon, we can we can do that. You know, I, I don't know how long it's going to take. I, I know probably a lot of the social norms that we did before, shaking hands, things like that, may not return right away. But uh, I certainly miss that as well. Well, Judith, I, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to, to, to do this interview with me and joining our, our podcast. And uh, I, I hope to talk to you real soon. And thank you again. Thank you for asking me to participate. I've enjoyed it. What a great interview with Judith today, Brian. She's one of the residents of Dudley Square who I've really connected with over the last few years, and it was really good to hear her voice today. Yeah, it was a fun interview. She's got such a great uh, sense of humor and a creative spirit, and, and I enjoyed catching up with her as well. Well, that's it for this episode. Thank you so much for joining us for the Linkage Podcast by Episcopal Retirement Services. For more information about us, you can visit our website at episcopalretirement.com. We have lots of great content, including our Linkage online blog, resources to learn more about aging and the services we offer, and so much more. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and YouTube to see what's going on with NERS and our communities. If you have any questions or any feedback for us, please email us at info at We love hearing from our listeners. 
The Linkage Podcast is produced by Kristen Davenport and Brian Reynolds. Fiasha Davis is our associate producer. Our technical director is Michelle Hone, who has done a great job of putting the show together. And I'd like to thank our guests today, including Michael Port and Judith Cohn, and of course, our update with uh, our president and CEO, Laura Lamb. On behalf of myself, Brian Reynolds, and Kristen Davenport, thank you so much for joining us, and we look forward to our podcast next week. Thanks so much, Kristen. See you next time, Brian. Thanks. Have a great week.